Welcome to Change the Narrative. I'm your host, J.D. Fuller, an African-American, licensed psychotherapist, professor, diversity coach, consultant, and author. We talk about the isms. We talk about the phobias, anything that marginalizes and oppresses. Everything we are not and everything we are is because of fear. Through a mental health lens, we'll have difficult conversations with celebrity guests, political activists, and everyone in between. Our mind will tell us whatever we want to believe, but the truth lives in the body, and that's where change occurs. Are you ready to change the narrative? Dr. Ali, welcome back. Fanny, I'm so glad to be back. Absolutely. I am so appreciative of you taking the time to share this space with me again and, and just chop it up a little bit. Absolutely. I love the fact that we can have these like really extemporaneous and expansive conversations that like, you know, it's it's rare that you get to find someone that you can like really just like riff with and like just talk about everything. So I always love coming here. Well, well, we about to get into it right now. OK, let's start with your health. You've been so open and transparent about your health journey. And I know that it has helped so many people. And I just want to check in and see how you're doing, because, you know, we love you and we care about you. Listen, these fibroids had me in a whole chokehold. I don't think that I um, realized how different my life could be without them. So, yeah, I had a myomectomy laparoscopic March 31st. And so I just made my six week goal because, you know, they say you can't lift anything heavy for six weeks. I've done it. I'm out. So I just did yoga this morning. The first time I've done it in over six weeks and I feel amazing. So, um, yeah, I'm feeling good. It was a it was a wild journey. I don't know how much detail you want. I, I've gone on your social media. I know the details. They can, too. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and because I, I don't know how much I've even shared this, but in the month of March, they were giving me hormones like birth control hormones uh, based on like progesterone so that I could, you know, slow my cycle down so that I could have my iron be at a good level for certain because I was losing so much blood. And I'd never been on birth control before. I had no idea how it was going to impact me. But they have this thing called an emergency dosage where you're basically taking like six birth control pills a day. I was supposed to do it for a week, but then something happened and I ended up having to do it for two weeks. And I will say that that ended up being one of the worst months of my entire life. I became overwhelmingly anxious, very, very depressed. I had a lot of very negative, very scary thoughts. Luckily, I had like my, my husband, my partner was with me every step of the way. And it was like just spectacular and amazing. It really reinforced for me how our thoughts aren't completely in our control all the time. And we like to give this impression like, oh, no, you have to change that thought, make, make it different, make it th always, you know, be in control, be in control. You just really are sometimes um, and hormones can take precedent over a lot because I've had clients with thyroid, you know, low functioning thyroid. And that impacts the way that you kind of think and the way that you move and and depression levels and things like that, too. So it gave me so much insight. But that was a really challenging super dark time of my life. And I am thankful to be done with it. <laughs> well, you know, we are so happy you're done with it. And clinicians, we don't find our way here just because we woke up one day and wanted to be here. And everything that we do is informed by our experiences. And this just takes you to a deeper level. Not that we would have wanted you to go through this, but it does take you to a deeper level of understanding, particularly in terms of those dark thoughts. I hate when people make them such a mystery. Like yeah. it's not regular and regularly happening to people who are in difficult exactly. places. Exactly. And we both give too much power and too little power to thoughts, right? We, a lot of times people are this, uh, this I've been talking out a lot about um, against toxic positivity 
this idea that, oh, if you have a negative thought, you'll bring your whole world crashing down and you'll lose your money. And, you know, if, if anything negative happens because you've been thinking bad thoughts, our thoughts, I don't know if they necessarily have that much power, but who am I? But they do have power over the way that we experience our own lives. As our thoughts are going, it can impact our emotions and our mood and our behavior and our environment. For me, those dark thoughts were consuming, but they gave me, like you're saying, they gave me such insight into, even when I was in it, I was like, this is how a lot of my clients have been feeling. Like back when I was doing traditional therapy and now that I'm doing coaching, I'm like, there are people that I work with on the daily that have these types of thoughts that, ha- that feel this out of control. And it was, it's a space where I realized I didn't need people to be like, well, this is what you're going to do. And this is what you're going to do next. And this is what you're going to do. I needed people to sit with me. I needed people to contain me. I needed people to just be there as I was spiraling. So I could see a little bit of like, like in the um, Hindu space and the, like in yoga and stuff, they talk about your drishti, that spot that you see that keeps you in balance while you're doing like a lot of these difficult poses. I needed somebody to be my drishti, someone to be that thing I could focus on. And I could be like, that is stable. Okay, that's what I'm trying to get. Because this right now, this ain't stable. <laughs> Absolutely. I understand that completely. I, you, you brought up a couple of things that I want to hit on. But first, I wanted to ask you about the infusions. Oh, um, yeah. You were doing those for a while. Do you, you don't still have to do them, do you? No, I, was, I did three iron infusions and two blood transfusions since January between January and March, it was like, when I tell you it was a heavy time, it was a heavy time. And the iron infusions were, you know, nice. They make your arm really cold and kind of like stingy because they're like below human, our body temperature. I feel like they helped, but let's be real. Vitamins are, you know, you, you excrete vitamins a lot, like even if they're intravenous, but um, I found it helpful. Um, and then the, uh, the blood transfusions though, now those were very helpful. <laughs> Say more. You, I felt the difference within a few, like, cause it takes about two hours. I, I like about an hour and a half per bag of blood. So I was there around like two, like three to four hours getting these, like I got two bags the first time. And I think I got two bags the second time as well. No, I think I got one bag the second time. So you're there a few hours and within like about 15, 30 minutes, you're already like, oh, I'm alive again. I feel like a person. You know, because I was just tired and like I was looking at the inside of my eyelids and they were just gray and I was just so worried. And with really pretty quickly, you um, start to perk up. And I was uh, I had always been very scared of like a blood transfusion because like, you know, there's the idea of like, I don't know what this what actually like might be in this blood. Where obviously transfusions are very safe. They engage in so many procedures to make sure that the blood matches you. So even though you have your blood type and the blood is the same blood type, they also do special treatments to the blood to make sure that it's like good for you. Um, they call it a type screen. So they get your blood and then they make sure like they gave me low glucose blood because they saw that I had a history of uh, prediabetes. And so they had to make sure the blood didn't have a lot of glucose. So I'm not getting all this glucose. So now my pancreas is having to overwork and it could, you know, be impactful. So they like make sure the blood is like for you. So I didn't have to worry about that. And then, you know, on a spiritual perspective, I'm like, well, I'm taking on somebody's like life force, you know, like there's a person out there whose energy, life force, blood, sangha, like is, is in me. <laughs> that was a little, I adjusted to that. But, but as I was, was getting the blood, I was also like giving thanks to the person who sacrificed that for me, giving thanks to their ancestors, to their family, 
for allowing me to live another day because of their sacrifice. And then I like had a conversation with the blood and I was like, you're mine now. Just know that. Mine. You're doing what we do here. Okay. So get used to it. <laughs> and, um, and I think that that was helpful for me on so many levels because it was also helping me to integrate my medical treatment into my spirituality. So it wasn't just me like kind of with this like detached, um, having this very detached experience, but I, I tried to integrate it as much as possible. And, um, it was pleasurable. My husband was there with me the first procedure and we were just chit-chatting and watching TV the whole time. So he had a good day. Okay. Yeah. Thank you for that education, man. I, I did not know that. That that's unbelievable. And I love the levels that you just described it in. That was that was very helpful. Thank you. Look, we bond over the toxic positivity. I cannot stand it. And uh, you know, it's there's so much of the clinical practice that's based on that, you know, the reframe and just flipping it around. And it's just not that simple. So I really appreciate what you said about that as well. I just want to acknowledge that. Thank you. Yeah. 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 We're a culture that's scared to sit with the shit. We're scared to sit with the ugly, the death, the destruction, the trauma, the pain. We want to instantly say, but what did you learn from that? What's that mean to you? How do we push that to the side so we can focus on the things that you just really want to get? Well, let me sit with the fact that I hate what just happened. This was bad for me. Let me mourn. Let me be in loss. I read this article when I was in high school by C.S. Lewis about the origin of sin. And one point that stood out to me was, how do you know a good apple if you've never tasted a bad one? You need bad because i i'm even i even have issues with the terms bad and good but you need the things that are uncomfortable difficult painful and distasteful so that you can appreciate and experience fully the things that are great you couldn't live a life exclusively of joy because then joy wouldn't be joy anymore it would be normal it would be baseline and so we need the balance of both sides of things because i think it also makes us afraid like on a spiritual space when we're entering into like the divine, you know, like divine feminine, divine masculine, which we all have balance of, you have to go through the shadow. You have to deal with these shadow parts of ourselves, the parts of us that are gross and mean and, 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 and horrible and process those parts and accept some of them. Cause sometimes we just going to be who we going to be <laughs> to get and get through those things so that we can actually step into these more like um, elevated kind of uh, parts of us. You know, and, and to just add to that gratitude, how do you have gratitude if you have not experienced all of the above? So appreciate that as well. You have talked a lot about how physical health mimics mental health. Will you talk about that a little bit? Absolutely. I think that we've seen for the most of our American medical history, kind of this um, splitting of medical practices. So we have like the physical sciences and then we have like the mental sciences and they end up kind of living in separate camps. And if any of you have worked in hospitals, you know that very clearly. You know, I did my training in psychology in a lot of medical systems. And yeah, we were kind of, we would call ourselves the redheaded stepchild. Like, I'm not sure if that's inappropriate now. Yeah, I don't know if that's appropriate anymore either, but I do remember that. You know, we love you. But yeah, we we used to say it all the time because we were the ones that got like the, the least of everything. I think that we are now finally starting to catch up to where Eastern medicine has been for such a long time in holism and integration and the reality that 
as our body is impacted, like when I was on all those hormones, your mind is impacted because your mind is a projection of your brain, which is a part of your body, which is impacted by all the hormones, the temperature, the experience of what's happening in your physical body and vice versa. The things that you think and the way that you think them can impact the hormones that are released in your body can impact the emotions that you are experiencing, which will impact the way that you perceive things. Like, for example, we have emotion-focused memory. So when people are in a bad mood, for example, you're kind of sad, you're going to remember with more um, vividness all the bad things that have happened to you. And so if we, when we find ourselves there and we can think ourselves into some bad emotions, I could think about something that frustrates me right now and get kind of annoyed. Um, and so we're able to do that. And that's the way that thoughts manifest in our lives, right? Is that you experience something or you think something and it changes your mood and it releases different hormones. We can release stress hormones by just thinking about it. I could have you think about a deadline that you have coming up and your heart might beat a little harder, right? Because your anterior pituitary is telling you to release glucocorticoids or so that's maybe um, cortisol or epinephrine or norepinephrine or all of these different hormones that result in the fight, 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 flight, freeze, fawn response. And so we see that our mind and our bodies are connected. And one way I have my clients do that is I just have them think back. I'm like, think back to the last time you were sick. You know, were you at your most mentally sharp? No. You were foggy. You were probably a little depressed and sad and like, Ugh, I hate this. Everything's up. And so we have to understand the, um, the co-creation that we have with our mind and our body. And we co they both come together to create this experience. And honestly, there's probably things also in between. We've just created this mind-body dualism because of um, conversations with, um, about, um, from philosophers like um, Rene Descartes, who had this kind of created this mind-body duality issue, which is uh, psychologists have been arguing for a long time. And I think we've come to the place of integration. And in health psych, we call it diathesis stress. So the diathesis is this genetic, biological part, and the stress is this environmental part that come together. So we have the environment being impacted, being experienced by the brain, and the genetics being impacted by the body, kind of coming together to create this amazing experience we have referred to as consciousness. The challenge, I think, for most people, particularly because of the colonization of, of mental and medical health, is to only look at it through this one lens, which we have been afforded based on the script that's been, you know, handed down to us. There's been no education to be expansive. So I really appreciate what you share um, in regard to mind-body existence and the important importance of understanding the connection and how it yeah, impacts we, each other. We are one thing, and then we extend it. We are also one with our communities. We are one with other humans, and we. I think we minimize that in the scientific world. But I think Jung had an interesting kind of step toward it with the idea of the collective unconscious. And, and that is something that connects us, us all humans on this unconscious level. Um, like how most humans are afraid of snakes. Almost all humans are afraid of fire. You know, fire, you don't run, you typically don't run toward it unless you are trying to do so. You run away from it and you have to be trained to go into it, right? Because you don't naturally want to. And so there's this collective uh, component to us. And so we are also made healthy or sick based on the health or illness of our communities. Yes, yes, yes. And ancestors. I mean, okay, that, that's a whole other conversation. <laughs> we'll touch on that again in a little bit. Tell me how you switched from, you said traditional therapy to your coaching practice. 
I think it wasn't slow. It was a slow shift because, you know, when you're in grad school, everything is about licensure. Get the license, get the license, get the licensure, find a job, work in a practice, you know, start a practice or do whatever. And so I was I was kind of in that vein. But I actually I had a moment when I was I was sitting in my graduation and I just felt like I was dying. I, I felt like I was being lowered into like a grave. Because it's like my my future was decided now. Like I was going to be a psychologist and I was going to do cognitive behavioral therapy with a mix of dialectical behavioral therapy because that's where my training was in. And I just saw my whole future and it just freaked me out. <laughs> I was panicking. I was literally at my graduation, like hyperventilating, like, oh my God, I have to do this thing now. And I, I got a postdoc where I was working with sex trafficked adolescents, mostly women, uh, girls. and. I began to see how the classic stuff that I had learned didn't necessarily work with everyone because they were in a facility, 56 bed, inpatient, fully locked. I began to see how powerful the institution was. And I began to see what institutionalization looked like. And so that helped me to realize that there was something a little different that different populations needed. And one of my key gripes was um, there's one ethical standard um, for those of you who are not aware that um, when it comes to relationships with clients that your relationship with the client ends at the end of therapy right so when therapy ends the relationship with the client is over and it's different in different states some states say I guess you could be friends with the client two years later some other states say seven years you know it's it's kind of like up in the air and I wasn't necessarily looking to be friends with my client but you had to maintain these boundaries. And so I have these young girls, 14, 15, who have been in the system. Most of them were, um, you know, in the, sta- the, the custody of the state for a majority of their lives who have had nothing but broken relationships, right? From family, friends, because they're moving from place to place, foster parents, group home administrators, you know, they just have had these broken relationships. And I had a client say, well, why should I care about what you have to say? You'll be gone in a few months and I'll never see you again. So why does it matter? And that was one of the moments and one of the ethical standards that really got me. As I was thinking, you know, if this client reached out to me on Facebook or Instagram, it was Facebook at the time that was like really the thing. I was like, I would have to, you know, not respond. And how invalidating is that for a young child that has severe attachment issues, very honestly, as a result of being, you know, detached from so many people in her life. Like I was saying earlier, community is a part of our health. And so I was now trying to help her with her mental health. But then in a way, was I only kind of putting a Band-Aid on it, a temporary Band-Aid at that, that would be ripped off the minute I left. And so I I liked the idea of coaching because you can um, involve yourself in a person's life in a different way. You are able to go places with your clients. And like if you have a client, for example, with like a uh, social fear, social phobia, you can go with them. I mean, not not that therapists can't, therapists can, but when I was doing stuff like that creative, I had to get like a lot of permission from the facility. You know, there's like 20,000 people you have to talk to first, all the documents. But now I have so much more control over like, okay, my client is interested in dating and expanding their perspectives, but then they have this mental block that's keeping them from reaching out to people or connecting with people in a way that makes sense for them. So instead of me just listening to them talk about it, let me go to, let me go to a restaurant with them. Let me go somewhere with them. Let me go to a party. Let me see how they interact. 
what does interaction actually look like? How comfortable are they? And, and I love the freedom to be much more creative, obviously in ways that are still ethical. I still hold myself from my last career, but I like that I can be more flexible with them and more communal and I can involve their families in different ways, obviously with their permission, but I get to know more of their family system and their dynamics. And I, I just really, really enjoy it. I have a statement for like the difference. I feel like a, a therapist is somebody that can help you keep your head above water because they deal with your trauma and diagnosis and all of that. But as a coach, I help you buy a bigger yacht. Mm. <laughs> That's good. Yeah, I love the creativity. I mean, I think if we think about it as black clinicians, uh, African uh, diaspora, we've always, if we are in that zone of our Afrocentricity, we have always had to find creative ways to bring the culture into the work that we do, keeping in mind the ethical standards, but at the same time, appreciating and using a multicultural lens because we've been taught how to work with white people and we haven't even been taught how to work with our own people. So we've had to use our lived experience to really figure out how to navigate these Eurocentric waters that want to take us down whenever we don't subscribe. You know, I had to join ABCI. I just joined ABCI like maybe two years ago because I realized I was not a black psychologist then. I was a black person with a PhD in psychology. Because <laughs> I was like, yeah, I understand black culture. But it's like, I realized there were theories that I had never learned. Theories on the, the, the aggressance, the development of, you know, the black, your, your kind of like black consciousness, black self and identity. Never heard of it. I did this, my research was on ethnic identity in black women and beauty. And I had never heard of negrescence. I used a Phoenix model of ethnic identity, which is based on Eurocentric identity development. And I was sitting here like, what? I was just like, how in the world did I miss this? Like, because nobody at my grad school was a, had a focus or an emphasis in the theories of black psychology. I have a family friend that is a world-renowned black psychologist. And I didn't know. I didn't know what he did. I had no... It's instant embarrassment. I'm not even going to mention his name because he'll know I'm embarrassed. <laughs> I don't want his name coming. I don't want this coming up by looking his name up because he'll look it up and be like, that girl is <laughs> And so I'm really enjoying my um, traverse and my, tr my travel into that area because I'm still doing so much learning. A lot of the learning that I have now has been done in more of the African spiritual space that I'm kind of bringing over into mental health which I know a lot of black psychologists have brought over too, but I need to get some of those theories down. So send me a book or two. Help yeah, me. no, I appreciate that a lot. And, and we have to teach ourselves, you know, when I, when I believe me, when I stop working full time, I'm going back into the learning because you have to constantly nurture that part of ourself. You know, it's been so pushed away from our existence. We have to continue to educate and nurture ourselves. So I'm right there with you. Yeah. I'm going to I'm going to hit on a couple more things and I already know we're doing two shows cuz I just can't get enough of talking to you. So, I'm going to ask right. you two more questions and just have you back in the next segment. So, <laughs> I want to say this quote and I want to know your perspective on it. The portal to every next level is through the parts of yourself that you avoid. Mm, I love that. And I, it goes back to the shadow, the shadow self. The parts of us that are icky and and sticky and messy and gross 
Because I think that that is a more of a real reflection of nature. And we are nature, right? We were birthed out of nature. And so the parts of us that we don't like are most often the areas where we can, where when we grow into them, we truly find our own power, right? Because we are told like, you got to be this type of person to succeed in America. You have to be this type of person. And so that requires, I think, a lot of avoidance to say like, oh no, I'm just going to, I'm just going to ignore it. Put this part over here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, avoidance as a coping mechanism as well, right? So this idea that, you know, I'm big on the unconscious, but I was just talking to someone about this. I think it was my my friend about this. The mm-hmm. idea that, you know, there is there's an avoidance in a way that becomes a coping mechanism, and you know, you know, it lives in such an unconscious place. You don't even realize you you're, you're doing it, and it's so related to perfectionism and procrastination. And so, right, where did one end and the other begin? And so, it's like slowing down. And yeah. focusing on that that place that you keep avoiding is really where the growth is. So I'm, I'm glad that resonates with you. I totally agree. Yeah, the avoidance copers and then the approach copers. I am definitely a little bit of both myself. But I will say the because avoidance feels better, right? It feels a little better to be like, yeah, I'll deal with it later. That's that procrastination piece you're talking about, right? The idea of like, well, I have to be in a good place for me to then to deal with this thing. And there's the perfection, right? So now we're constantly waiting to deal with this part of us, which might end up being some of the most beautiful parts of us, right? The things that we avoid because they're connected. They might be connected to deeper. Well, they're definitely connected to something deeper. That's it. They're definitely connected to something deeper. Yeah, no, I, I, I absolutely agree with you. I just think that, you know, I love the idea of portal. You know, it's like, Mm -hmm. you really have to get through it. It's not about getting over it or around it. It's about getting through it to get to the other side. So again, I'm happy that that resonates with you. Yeah. Yeah. Because don't we love getting something? Love, we love, we love, not going through it. we love not going through it. Not going through it. You know, we will walk on that little, that little ledge, you know, tippy toeing to get around it when the only true way to figure it out is through the middle. My mother used to always say, and I hope I don't screw it up, the, the quickest way to, I mean, I already screwed it up. The quickest way to the end is through a direct, yeah, that's not it. That's it. It's through it. It's through it. It's through it. I think it's just, it's, it's inherently scary. But I think one of the things I love about Buddhism is this idea of being curious. And even being curious with our pain and being curious of the thing we're avoiding, sitting in the middle of that dark wood and investigating it instead of like trying to even rush through it. So I even say we take our time with going through these pieces of us that we're afraid of and is scary to us. I, I would talk to my clients about this. I would say avoidance is almost like when you're watching like those 1970s, like movies, those like horror movies. And they have like this man in a, a, a costume, but you only see like a bit of him. And it's scary, right? Because you, you get like a little flash of them. But then once you actually look at the costume, you stop avoiding it. The camera looks at it. You realize it's a costume. You see zippers and you see wires holding things up. And you're like, Maybe it wasn't as scary as I thought it was. Maybe it's actually a little silly. Maybe this is actually kind of funny. And I think that a lot of our avoided bits are the same way. And instead, taking that portal, right, that doorway, that opportunity to, because the doorway cuts into something, right? So we're cutting into the avoidance and we're walking into it. Like you're saying, walking through it instead of teleporting 
around it, beyond it, to another universe, we are. And I think that that's what toxic positivity does too, is it tries to get you to avoid the bullshit. It wants you to shove the bullshit into a box and put it on a, on a cabinet and never go back and get it. But we want to be creating doorways into the shit so we can get through it to the other side and really have it behind us. Absolutely. That was great. Okay, we're going to pause there. And just to end this uh, where we are, please give your social media handles and where everybody can find you. And then we're going to get into more of what you do in the next segment. Perfect. You can find me at Allison Higgs just about everywhere. That is A-L-L-Y-C-I-N-H-I-C-K-S dot com, Instagram and TikTok. Okay, excellent. All right. And and thank you for hanging out with me. I really appreciate it. And we will be back. Please be sure to like, subscribe and follow wherever you get your podcasts. And also leave us a review. Let us know what you think. Thank you for listening to Change the Narrative with J.D. Fuller.